0: morning, church. (coughs) I'm Pastor Aaron. Thanks for continuing to stand. We are going to be in Numbers 23, 7 through 12 this morning. We're going to start in Numbers 23. We're going to look at that whole narrative historically from Numbers 22 to Numbers 25. But we're going to start kind of at the crux, the pinpoint of where we're going to be this morning. Let's read it. It says this, verses 7 through 12, And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How can I curse God whom how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like this. And Balak, the king there in Moab, said this to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we come and we continue this narrative of Exodus and this whole, it's not just in the book of Exodus, but we're looking at this beautiful story of God never backtracking, never reneging on His, His deal with Israel to protect them, to bring them out of Egypt and to protect them while they were in travel, you know, this two-week journey that, you know, that ended up taking 40 years. Um, and then we begin to get closer and closer to the promised land. We've gone, you know, we, last week we talked about, you know, the complaint against the food. In fact, remember how they had deceived themselves? We don't even have food. Okay, we have food. It's just, we're bored of it. It's terrible. And, he, and they kind of profaned even manna, which was this type of Christ, this provision of bread in the wilderness... And so now we're parking. We're get, They've made a reputation for themselves in the land, right? They're coming close to the promised land. They've made a reputation. They're coming from kind of the bottom out of Egypt. They're coming around towards the Jordan River. They're, if you're ever looking at the Black Sea, which I always think looks like a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot, like going behind a tree, it's like behind his foot. It's not actually that, but yeah, I said Bigfoot on a in a Sunday morning sermon, sorry. Um, but... It's, it, they're coming into Moab. They've got a reputation. And we're getting to see that that reputation is preceding them. The king of Moab, Balak, he knows as they come in. I've heard this, these stories about this Israelite people And there. They've brought down Jericho like just with their God. And they're, and they're hearing about Yahweh. And Yahweh in the near, ancient Near East was known about. Most of the time they use this Elohim, this word for God's, kind of a general, you know, a little bit like when we say, you know, uh, in God we trust. You know, sometimes that's that seems to be a little bit of a misnomer because who even knows what God, some politicians are talking about. But it was a general, uh, the general knowledge of who God was. Well, Balak knew who Yahweh was. They're hearing about Yahweh. In fact, Balaam is this guy who we're going to read about a little bit in a minute that is this kind of Rena prophet He's a little bit of a soothsayer, but he's not necessarily a false prophet. He's just a wicked one. He's known, to, he's known that when he blesses people, they become blessed. When he curses people, They become cursed. And what's strange about this passage is he's outside of Israel. They know about Yahweh. But what's incredible is that (laughs) Balaam, you'll see, he talks to a lot of people and things as if it's normal that they're talking to him. We'll get to that in a moment. But he talks to Yahweh in a way almost like he... He talks to Yahweh regularly, audibly. So we'll see that in just a minute. Um, in high school, I had a friend. I wanted to tell you guys this. In high school, I had a friend. It was, a, it was kind of a, a group of 8th uh, grade knuckleheads that we had. We were knuckleheads, not that all 8th graders are. But um, group of 8th grade knuckle, Don't laugh. A group of 8th grade knuckleheads, and we were all taught in Sunday school by Tim Collins. And so Pastor Tim was our Sunday school teacher, and uh, for better or for worse... Uh, He'd probably one of the reasons I'm out here with you guys, this, just, but he, one of the friends, we were a pretty tight group of friends, and um, one of the guys, his name was Eric Kersey, and he would not mind me mentioning from the stage, I'm sure, but Eric Kersey, uh, we're still, we're still, acquaint- we're still friends, we still kind of talk, he runs like a YouTube camper channel, like, called Abiding Tribe, but, so he's out there, and, and, um, and we still talk, I'm trying to get him to come through and camp through Kansas, so. Um, and stop. But Eric was one of those friends that you knew when the other, because the other four guys, we kind of want to gossip each o- about each other and kind of bicker. It wasn't, it, it sounds, that sounds pretty girly, forgive me, but it wasn't like that. It was more like, oh, I want to turn, you know, you get a group of friends together and you kind of want to pick out your favorites and you want to talk bad about the others. And um, Eric Kersey, anytime that you would talk to him about your friends or try to talk to him about one of the other guys in the group bad, He'd go, he'd always have something positive to say. And he'd never let you gossip about them. He'd always come back and say, yeah, but, well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about something else. Or he'd say something positive and completely disarm whatever, you know, me, I'm, I'm volunteering myself. Whatever I was trying to say about the other, the, the other dude. And so what, what, what Eric developed was a reputation of, you know what? I can trust him not to be talking bad about me to other people because he won't let me talk bad about them. He won't betray me. He won't. I can trust him. Converse that with my time uh, leading students in student ministry. A lot of times you'd hear these stories about, oh, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm wanting to date this girl, but she already has a boyfriend. But, but I think we've been kind of talking on the side. And, you know, and so I think, I think we'll end up dating soon or you know girls will come to come to me or another youth leader and say yeah we've been kind of we yeah we kind of been talking bad about this girl but but it's 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 okay there's no consequences and the whole time every time when I talk to a student about that I'd say well be careful cuz what they do with you they'll end up doing to you at some point right you know and you see this unfold all the time well what we're seeing here in this passage is that God is more the Eric will love this. God is more the Eric Kersey in that situation than this gossipy teenager. He's the one that's always going to be faithful. He's the one that's always going to be by the side of his people. He's always going to be there. And we look at Israel, all the mistakes we've seen them do in Scripture. Can you believe that God hasn't just walked away from them or destroyed them and started over with a new people? I mean, even he's, he's, But even when we see what seems to be punishment... It ends up being disciplined to make them more like He wants them to be. To get them more to the place He wants them to be. So God is not, hey, what He'll do with you, He'll do to you. No, God is that He is outside of it. He's the non-moody parent that keeps loving and keeps loving and keeps fighting for His children. And that's our main point this morning is God always fights for His children. And though it seems dire and though it seems, you know... I think in, in Israel, Israelite life and today, modern day Israel, you know, we think, oh, maybe God's forsaken them. Or Christians, when we see Christians persecuted all over the world, we say, well, oh, maybe God is just letting them be punished. And we can know that God always fights for his children. I'm going to give you some reasons why. But first, we've got to look at this Balaam story from a 10,000 foot view. This is a weird one, you all. This one's a weird one. This is one of those moments where Scripture, if you're not taking it literally, it's really easy to allegorize it. But no, this really happened. And what I'm talking about specifically is not even Balaam blessing Israel, which he'll end up doing, even though he set out to curse them. It's the fact that sometime in history, a donkey talked. And it's pretty pretty amazing. And this isn't like Shrek, you know, donkey. I wanted to work that in. Like, hey, Shrek, let's make waffles. Let's make some waffles, Shrek. No, this is legit. He's, his, the mouth of the donkey is opened up, and God uses this donkey to speak some wisdom into, um, into Balaam. So we see this. There's a king in Moab, right? His name's Belak. He's got a, Israel's got a reputation. He doesn't want to lose his kingdom in Moab to these Israelites. So he hires a rent prophet. He hires a soothsayer to go and curse the Israelites. So Balaam is on his way and he's with some assistants. So there's two witnesses to this, by the way. It's not just Balaam and he comes back and says, Guys, my donkey talked. No, there's two people there that can believe, that can back up that this happened. They're on the road to curse Israel. And guess what? The angel of the Lord shows up. Let's read this passage. Numbers 22, 22 through 35 are the verses. But God was angry that he was going. So he decided to take the deal from Balak. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road and as, as an adversary against him. Now let's stop right there just briefly. Most of the time in the Old Testament when you see the phrase the angel of the Lord... It's probably referring to, get this, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The New Testament historical figure of Jesus showing up pre-incarnate, without flesh. as a, you know, This is incredible. So Jesus cares about the outcome of Israel even before they reach the promised land. Let me continue. Now he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn in his hand, the donkey turned off the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to guide her back to the road. The angel of the Lord stood then in a more narrow path of the vineyards with, stone, with a stone wall on this side and on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. Probably crushed his leg. Probably scraped it up pretty bad. He struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went farther and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and strung the donkey, donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Can we just rest on that for a second? It's amazing. He's blind, so God's going to speak through a donkey. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she, and she, the wisdom of a woman, and she said to Balaam, wait, we just have to... And she said to Balaam, she turns around and asks him, why have you struck me these three times? And, And instead of just what most of us would do, which is look at the donkey and be pretty freaked out, he answers her. Well, because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so... This dialogue goes on, and it's an amazing exchange between not just Balaam and his donkey, because she's saying, have I ever done this to you before? And he's like, no, but you're embarrassing me in front of my guys. And and then the angel of the Lord pipes in and says, well, if she hadn't seen me, I would have killed you and left the donkey alone, which is great in and of itself. You think God doesn't have a sense of humor. He's got an amazing sense of humor. But I want you to see that even in this passage, as Balaam goes to curse Israel, on the way, God is dealing with this guy who might be, you might consider him a God-fearing Gentile, but that would be pretty loose, loosely saying that. He opened Balaam's eyes to what he was blind to. He opened Balaam's eyes, and he's going to begin to open his eyes to the fact that Israel is not, Israel is my people Israel is God's people. It is not this nation that you're just going to easily stop because it's not that Israel is fighting and winning, all these, clearing all these different places in the land that I promised them. It's that Israel, I'm fighting for Israel. God always fights for his children. But even in this incredible event of, a human, of an animal speaking, God shows his commitment to Israel even over. The natural laws that he's put in place. We see a few different ways, right? That he, even over his natural laws, God, number one, the donkey speaks. Number two, an angel shows up. So there's kind of this, this dimensional kind of supernatural unveiling. First to the donkey and then to Balaam. And then three, Jesus appearing... As the angel of the Lord, we, we think, Jesus appearing, many scholars have believed, before flesh, before He comes in the New Testament. Incredible. But where did this all begin? That gets us to our first point. This began because God had already promised Israel this land. And God is tenacious And He doesn't give up. And His statutes, His decrees stand forever. The first blank that you fill in on your uh, note sheet is, He called Israel to be His people. Very specifically, we see in Scripture that that God called Israel to be His people. Israel is sometimes referred to as the daughter of Zion. uh, God's son, God's spouse. All throughout Scripture, we get get this this picture of, of God having His people. These are His people. And we think of Hosea. And Hosea as a prophet was told to marry Gomer, who was a prostitute, who kept cheating on him, kept having kids from other men. And, got, and Hosea was to illustrate how God felt about Israel even when they would fall into idolatry. Even when they cheat on Him. Even when they completely forget Him for hundreds of years. God, He called Israel to be His people. Jeremiah 31, 33. I'm not sure this is on your notes, but I'm going to read it anyway. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Paul kind of backs this up in Romans eleven, seventeen 17 through 21. He says this, But if some of the branches were broken off, and we'll talk about this in just a moment. And you, being a wild olive, talking about Gentiles that Paul came primarily to minister to, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Now, any time in the, in the New Testament, particularly that you hear olive tree or fig tree, it's usually referring to Israel as a nation, as God's people. So he's saying, you've been grafted into this rich root of the olive tree that's connected to the Father. Do not be arrogant, Gentiles, toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, Paul says. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear... For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. So we see that this covenant stands. This is an Abrahamic covenant. Later on we get that Mosaic covenant. We got it through the Ten Commandments. And guess what? When Jesus came physically to the earth, He fulfilled all those commandments. And we'll get to that at the end when we bring it all down to Christ. But the Abrahamic covenant still stands. So He called Israel to be His people because He always fights for His children. Always. In the past, present, and future. Let's talk about the present. Second point here is He only ever promised one nation a piece of land. If you really think about it, God only ever promised one nation a piece of land. Let's see what Genesis 12, 1-3 says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house... "...to the land which I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed." Now, remember, he only ever promised one nation a piece of land... But it's about so much more. And we're going to see why it's about so much more in just a fr- brief few moments. A couple of things I want you to see here in this passage that we just read in Genesis 12, 1-3. To the land which I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. So this nation, this Abrahamic covenant, we've seen it kind of fulfilled at some point in, 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 in partial points in, all throughout history, right? The Israelites were made great. They were made very numerous. In fact, one of the reasons Balak was so scared of the nation of Israel is because they were so big, there were so many people. so they're like this amoeba of a nation like going around and there's, you know there's, there's uh, rumors that guess what? there's rumors that, that this amoeba of millions of people in a nation are coming to conquer their land. I'd be scared too. I'm a Gentile, I'd be very scared. And so, to the land which I will show you, I'll make your great nation. I will bless you, I'll make your name great. But look at this, and I and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and curse those who curse you. So he's our, he's saying the nations that bless you, I will bless. The nations that curse you, I will curse, because all the families of the earth earth will be blessed through you. What are the two things in history right now that we've gotten from Israel? What are the two things we've got in the Old Testament? The Torah. This is a big deal. When, when In New Testament survey or any Bible classes you'll ever teach um, or that you'll ever a- a- attend, I, I went to one in Bible college and we looked at the, the Scriptures and how the Scriptures came down through the ages. And it was really the New Testament and how it was transmitted and then all brought together and all the variants in the, in the t- original text that we had all came together and they were beautifully, like you could take them all and come up with the original document even if you had torn it up and burned it and never seen it again. But the Old Testament, here was the kicker, when we studied the New Testament scriptures and their transmission and how they've been maintained through the ages and what we have now in our Bibles in the New Testament is pretty accurate, and you get into translational, you know, you know, getting into the English, some translations. But the Old Testament, guess what? You almost, you studied a little bit, but you just realize, like, no, the Jewish people pretty much preserved the Torah, the books of the law, the prophets. They pretty much preserved it for 3,000 years. Like it was written and then there was no question about it. So we get our Old Testament Scripture, the root that is the foundation for the, new, what the happening in the New Testament. I talked about that last time I preached. Root to fruit, bud to blossom. Those are my silly names for Old Testament to New Testament. But we see also, so we get the Old Testament Scriptures. Who else did we get through the Jewish people? Jesus. The, the actual Messiah that was promised came through the nation of Israel... And I'm telling you what, Satan hates that. He's, uh, those two things, he hates that we still have our Scripture, what God said from the Jewish people, and he hates the Jews because the Messiah really did come through the Jews. He tried to stop it. He tried to do all kinds of things in the book of Genesis to stop the line. He tried to do all this stuff to keep Jesus from coming through the line of, through the line of, of all, these, all these humans. Through the line of Noah, and then Jacob, and then Judah. He tried to stop it, and he couldn't stop it. The enemy hates that we receive Scripture and our Messiah from the Jews. Genesis 15, 18 kind of reflects this, but begins to talk about how this nation was promised that piece of land. It says this, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. There's the Abrahamic covenant for, the, for what he was going to do through this people. To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So the river Euphrates, if you look at a map, the river of Euphrates, you can put that map up, by the way. The river Euphrates from basically the bottom of the top of Egypt, and then this covenant, 15 through 18 of the book of Genesis, promises that one day they'll have the land all the way to the Euphrates in Iraq. Has that been realized yet? No, we haven't seen that yet. In fact, the little spit of land they have right now, not that much bigger than New Jersey, or maybe it's, like, it's also Lake Michigan or Lake Erie. It's not big at all. All that that's been promised to them doesn't even realize even, a, I think it's an eighth of the land that this covenant promised. It hadn't been realized yet. We haven't seen it. You know, of all the things that, we see, that we've seen um, in the world, which, by the way, I was given this sermon in this passage before October 7th. So Tim keeps doing that to me. He'll keep like, oh yeah, just take this one. This one won't be hard. you know. <laughs> um, but you know, as I've watched that unfold and I've watched how... As I've watched how Scripture tells me I'm supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And yet, this, is, this land and that city is so hotly contested, and will be, by the way if you go and start reading the book of Revelation, will be hotly contested until the end. And what I I want you to understand is when you're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, you know until the end it's going to be hotly contested. So guess what you're really praying for? We're praying for one day when Jesus comes back and He rules from Jerusalem. That's huge. And one day when He rules from Jerusalem, guess, guess what land area and land mass is theirs? you know, of of Hamas and Hezbollah and all these different terrorist organizations that want to obliterate Israel. Scripture tells us that that Israel's going to be around as long as the sun and the moon and the stars are around. And one of my favorite preachers on this subject just talks about how, you know, all these terrorist organizations with all their rockets need to be kind of shooting towards the sun and the moon and the stars and take them out. And then, then... Scripture tells us Israel can be taken out but no Israel will not be in the Israel that we have today though they are mostly just ethnic in nature and not necessarily those religious Jews God continues to fight for them You've heard I've heard all kinds of chants in the news lately and I would just say consider your source when you're watching the news look at your source cite your source see who stands to benefit I've heard um, ceasefire now, ceasefire now. I've heard uh, the, the rhyme that's out there is um, from the river to the, to the sea, Palestine will be free. And forgive me, eschatology class, because I've already shared with you my rhyme. As I look at Genesis fifteen eighteen, I see from the river to the sea is promised to the Israelis. And I'm not talking about from the Jordan to the sea Mediterranean. I'm talking from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River. Cuz it's coming and God still holds them as his people. Remember, this is about more than land. This con this conflict, everything you're seeing in the news is about way more than the land. Cuz you're seeing anti-Semitism pop up all over the nation, right? You're seeing it pop up all over the world it's almost as if Satan has some kind of principality or spirit that he just assigns and says, "Oh, we're going to war with Israel now let's pop up anti-Semitism everywhere and what I what you have to be very very careful to see is it's not primarily about the lamb but it's about about the land but it's about them being God's chosen people so when you hear things like Maybe it's a two-state solution. Maybe we should chop up the land a little bit more and give more to the Palestinians. Maybe we should give more to the Arabs that live in Israel. But if you look back at history, um, there was a, uh, in 1973 there was an Israeli diplomat named Abba Iban. And he was famous after... This was 1973. So Israel had done one, two, three, four attempts to make a, come hat in hand to Palestine, the Palestinians and the Arabs, that come hat in hand to them and say, hey, what about this agreement? What about this agreement? And 12 times from 1937 to 2020, they said, no, thumbs down. Even a two-state solution? No, thumbs down. Even giving you this amount of land? No, thumbs down. And Abba Iban would say, the Arabs never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. <laughs> Just remember, this is a spiritual battle. This is Satan, and he hates the Jews because we got our Old Testament scripture, we got our Messiah, and then one day, if he could keep them from getting this land, and one day having to. One day they're going to get to. They're going to get to. One day they're going to be called to Christ. They're going to be called to Jesus. That so, just because Israel's God's people does not mean they have some special like way they're going to get into heaven. No, eventually. All people, nobody comes to the Father except through me. So Israel, Jewish people will have to embrace Jesus Christ as Messiah. And this isn't a, an indictment against the Arabs that live in Israel. They're innocent people and we ought to be praying for them. They need Jesus. There's Hamas terrorists and Hezbollah people that need to embrace Jesus and turn around. And the U.S. and the Israelites, uh, Israelis might help them meet Jesus. Hamas and Hezbollah. But there are people that need Jesus. There are Muslims coming to Jesus in droves because Jesus shows up in a dream. You can look it up. There's stories all over the place. Jesus shows up in a dream and guides them to a person of peace. A Christian pastor that has the word and he leads them to Jesus Christ. God's doing a great work in the Muslim world. And we ought to be praying for them. And we ought not to forget that God loves those people too. But as we look for God always fighting for His children the last thing and will be done, He will one day bring Israel to Himself through Jesus. You know, I mentioned being a former student pastor. I I, I mention it a lot usually because I I love um, the potential that you see in teenagers. And I love their passion when they do latch on to something like Jesus Christ. I love how they just Go pedal the metal. Sometimes I've heard stories over and over of families, parents who are praying, like we talked about last week for that prodigal. You know, the, the the son or daughter that's just doing their own thing, and the parents can see that they're running down a road that's gonna lead to just heartbreak and disaster and physical and mental ailments. And sometimes I watch those parents fight that kid for that kid. Does that make sense? I watch those parents fight so hard against, the against. it seems like, against that kid, but they're really fighting for that teenager. They're fighting for their future. They're fighting for their future family. You talk about in this song, and your children, and their children. They're fighting for a legacy that is the legacy of Christ, which is the only thing that lasts, by the way. I don't know my great-great-grandfather's name, but I know that he was... A minister of the gospel. That's the only legacy, and and somehow through that, like I I know Christ because of you know the faithfulness of great great grandparents. They're looking at a legacy, but these parents fight for the for their children, even if they're fighting their children, and God does the same thing, because this is the, re- the one of the main reasons that Satan's still after the Jewish people is because one day they will come to know Him. Numbers 25 too, By the way, we're, we're finishing up this passage. I'd lo- I could teach a whole, I'd love to do a whole series on Numbers 22 through 25. But here's what ends up happening. Balaam blesses Israel. He goes back to Balak, gets in a lot of trouble. Israel goes on a couple more chapters and they're fine. They do what they're supposed to do. God seems to be behind them. And then, Balaam does something that kind of has them fall into idolatry again and they actually start um, sleeping with the women of other tribes. And not just that, they start to worship the other women's gods. And Israel falls yet again into idolatry even after Balaam was used by God to bless them. And in Numbers 25, God is... I would be scratching my head, but it seems yet again Israel has walked away from... Yahweh, their God, says this in Numbers 25 too, for they invited the people to sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And so they not only um, joined themselves to these other tribes, these other nations around that area, but they began to sacrifice to their gods and even eat the meat that was sacrificed to them. And so you go, as a human, I'm just like, okay, it's done. I'm over. I'm, I'm finished. I'm finished with this, right? No. After Jesus came, Paul is again, just like he was earlier in Romans 11, he's again, when he was talking about being grafted in as Gentiles. And remember, this is Paul who came primarily to the Gentiles and he said, I would give up my salvation, in not so many words, I would give up my salvation so that some of my people could know Jesus Christ. Which I wouldn't do, by the way. <laughs> But what, would Paul do that if he knew that God was just going to renege on his deal to the Israelites? If God, Would Paul do that if he knew that he had such a passion for Gentile ministry, but he, he still loved and wanted his people to come to know Jesus Christ the Messiah? Well, guess what? They will one day. What does Paul say? He says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Far from it. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And then after Paul, about 95 A.D., the Apostle John is writing for Jesus. And he's seeing all these things happen in the, in, in the last days, in the end times. And he sees in Revelation 7 and 14, the strange picture of this weird number. 144,000. And there's been speculation throughout history of what this 144,000 is. It's pretty obvious. It's the 12 tribes of Israel. It's 12,000 from each tribe. And it's not just all the people associated with what's gonna be, how they're going to be dealt with in those last days and how they're going to come to know Christ. That's just 144,000 virgin males from the 12 tribes of Israel. And what we see is there's people all surrounding that, but we see that they're going to be used in the last days to share the gospel of Jesus because that 144,000 comes to know Jesus as this Messiah, the one that they've rejected, the one. So God ends up pulling Israel back to Himself. Revelation 14:1 says this, Then I look, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name... Jesus' name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. They're sealed. Jewish people one day come to know Christ as Messiah and they can know eternal life with the Father. So God continues to fight always for His children and sometimes He has to fight His children for themselves. I think I'm saying it right. I'm glad you are tracking. Thank you. So let's bring it down to Christ. This is a big deal, you all. When we look at Balaam and we look at Balak and we wonder, we just wonder what God's doing through a talking donkey and through a prophet that didn't even follow him, he still uses Balaam to fight for his children and keep them on the path that he's got for them. And one day we get the scriptures from them, one day we get the Messiah from them, and one day we get to look forward to them not fighting God anymore because Jesus is the one who fulfilled that law and they can know God, a holy, righteous God through Jesus Christ. God always fights for His children. God fights for Israel and will bring them to Christ. They are still His people and the Abrahamic covenant still stands. Guess what? He fights to know and love you too. In fact, we stand on this side of history where we can look back 2,000 years and we can go, oh yeah, Jesus came, He fulfilled the law. And take it almost for granted. But what he did in that, he made it to where all we have to do is take Jesus' perfect record on ourselves, put him in the driver's seat of our lives, and we too can have a relationship back with the Father. He fights the know and love you too. Let me ask you this. Where are you fighting God? Ask yourself that that question, where are you fighting God? The believers in here just may fighting Him on something. I'm going after that next idol. I want convenience. i got to have my finances straight. I gotta, I'm fighting again an addi- against an addiction. Where are you fighting God? Because He fights for you. He's fighting for you. And non-believers in this room, where you know He's chasing after you, right? You know He loves you. You know He's fighting for you. We look for all this approval in other relationships, yet the most important one we tend to ignore. He fights for us, and He disciplines us sometimes because He is after us. How do you do it if you haven't made that decision yet? You guys can just kind of close your eyes. Shut everybody else out. How? How? First, it's as simple as ABC. First, you admit that Jesus, admit that you're a sinner and that you have a desperate need for a Savior. And in our culture, we don't like to even acknowledge the word sin. But there were sinners who were fallen and broken. And anytime we can look back at history, at the Jewish people, we could probably top their sin. And that B and A, B, C is believe that the Bible is, believe Jesus is who the Bible says he is. Also meaning that that belief is repentance, the changing of mind that yields a change of direction, a change of heart. So that believing is an action. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he can cover your sin. And then the C is confess him as Lord. Put him in the driver's seat of your life. That inflection point, that decision point yields an action, and that action is, you know what? I'm not going to try and control this anymore. I'm not going to try and drive my life anymore. I'm going to give it over to God through Jesus Christ. And that's it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I lift these men and women up to you. I thank you for the fact that you are faithful to even a people who is woefully unfaithful to you who are woefully unfaithful to you and yet you still bring miracles yet you still do things to provide uh, for your people and father i thank you that gentiles can be grafted into this family through jesus christ and father we thank you so much that you you have the same deal for all of us both israel and the church to come to you through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we will remember and rest in the fact that, God, you always fight for your children. And we can just help us to be parents like that, too, that always fight for our children. Because we model the Father who loves us so much and is surprised by nothing that we do, no sin that we commit, and you've put in place the Redeemer Jesus Christ. Thank you that we're on this side of history. We get to look back clearly. Father, I pray for a real power. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the Israeli people. We pray for the the Arab people in that region, but also in all those Muslim countries that need to know you. Send them pastors, the word, preachers. Send them Jesus in a dream. We pray in Jesus' name that you would move on the world mightily on the stage and open our eyes to what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.